This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Skate Podcast on weei.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm looking at the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 109 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Guys, how was the weekend? Uh, it was good. I uh, All I did was move. That's which right. Is, which is big news. That is huge news. You got a condo, right? Or a house? Indeed, yeah. Yeah, townhouse in Lowell. Nice. I'm, uh, I'm, le- I'm leading the charge to bring back the Lock Monsters now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lock Monster games. You, those are those are the days. But um, I remember the Lock Monsters games when Char was was playing for them. That was that was like 1997 or 98 or something like that. But yeah, those, those were always a good time. Now, now I think the Riverhawks just own the entire Songus Arena, and and good for you, Lowell. Honestly, they put on a show every every night there. So. But. Yeah, they they like they timed it perfectly. They basically hired Norm Bazin and started to get really good, like just as the Lock Monsters were leaving. So it was like everyone who you know Lock Monsters had been the number one. They just timed it perfect and kind of swooped right in and just took over. So are you going to become a uh, a Riverhawks fan, or are you still going to stay strong to BU? Or I know you're a Lowell native now, so like, what do you think? Uh. I, you know what? I've always liked the Riverhawks because, like, I went to a bunch of their games growing up. Like, even going back to when they played at the Tully Forum, which is it's actually in Billerica, which is where I'm from. So, well, it's, um, in, it's in Billerica, but it's called the Chelmsford Forum now. So, are you? What do you mean it's in Billerica? It's called the Chelmsford we, Forum. It has to be in Chelmsford. Well, you know, us Billerica people, we like to give give to back to the less fortunate. <laughs> you know, so throw throw those Chelmsford people a bone. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I used to the tele, the Tully Forum was a far better name. It used it had the actual Riverhawk logo on the, on on the rink, and now it just says Chumps for Lions and like you know gross ass maroon. But hey, yeah. Bridget, what what did you do this weekend? Uh, I worked both the Red Sox games. Um, really exciting stuff. Hell yeah! They've started they they've started to give up. So 
Yeah. They're 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 almost over with and hockey's almost here, so definitely changing seasons. Yeah, Red Sox games, you know, sometimes producing those games can put you to sleep a little bit. So Oh uh, yeah, they lost nine to nothing on Saturday and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> To, to the Kansas City Royals. To the yeah. Kansas City Royals. And then they smoked him on Sunday, and it was like two non-competitive games that were uh, – they were no fun. <laughs> yep, yep. Go Sox, go. Or as uh, – what, what's his what's his name? Um, John Henry. Or no, was it Lucino? Or was it Henry that was like – he started to get going? It was <laughs> – Let's go, Red Sox. Let's go, Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it was Tom Warner. Was, I think it was Warner who was tried to Tom lead Warner? that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, actually, I saw the late, the latest John Henry scandal. Is that I guess now, now at Fenway, their ketchup packets are like you know like vegan or or I don't know what the hell it is, like veggie veggie ketchup packets. I don't know. I saw yeah. I saw Pete Blackburn was all pissed off about that. I was gonna say yeah, friend friend of the pod, Pete Blackburn is like leading the charge against these things. But it's vegetables. Like it should already be vegetarian. I'm <laughs> ketchup is tomatoes, guys. I think it's mainly sugar. Regardless. Yeah, I think they got rid of the sugar, which like. Oh, I don't know. I don't like ketchup. That's the best part. I don't even like ketchup, so. Neither do I actually. So I'm, that's why I'm not really mad about it. But it's mm-hmm. just you know any any chance to kind of you know, get on get on John Henry, then you know I'm down <laughs> for it. Let's get back to the Bruins, no? Well, I think start. Let's start the biggest. So the most recent is that David Krejci arrived Monday and in talked to the media. But I think the biggest thing from the last few days is. Uh, David Pasternak's back and uh, spoke with reporters on Friday. That was unfortunately the one day I wasn't there because I, I had too much packing to finish. Um, didn't quite didn't quite get my timing right and had to really cram the last day. But uh, yeah, so he said that he wants to stay in Boston. His priority is to stay in Boston. He's optimistic that a deal will get done. And you know, I think if you're a fan, like it was nice to hear because there had been all these rumors and reports over the summer that, you know, whether it was friction with Sweeney, not liking how he handled, you know, Krug, Krejci, uh, there was that check-based report that he would be hesitant to sign an extension uh, because he had questions about, you know, the team's ability to contend after Bergeron and Krejci retire. And when Pasternak met with reporters on Friday, you didn't get any of that. Like there, there didn't seem to be any sort of hesitation or even like a, well, you know, I'm going to wait and see, let it play out type thing. He was pretty upfront that he wants to be in Boston. He called it home. He said he's had, you know, great memories here. Him and his, and his partner, uh, Rebecca Rolson, love it here. You know, the only thing that I guess – still kind of remained unclear is he didn't say he said it was his priority to stay in Boston and get get a deal done he did not say it was his priority to get it done before the season starts um he did seem to leave the door open to whether it was talking throughout the season or even after the season but I don't think that should be cause for any sort of panic because generally the like impetus to get a deal done before the season that usually doesn't really come from a player. Like that's usually not the player's priority. It's the team's priority. So like, that's like, it's still the Bruins who are going to be the ones kind of pushing to get it done before the season. uh, You know, assuming that there is that push to come. 
Yeah, and in another one of the things that people had talked about in the speculation of whether or not he wanted to sign a longer term contract in Boston was whether or not they were going to be any good in, you know, after Bergeron and Krejci leave. And he did speak to that as well. And he said, it's not my, not really my job to look at what the team's going to be like two, three years from now, which I mean, I don't know how much you believe that Scott. I mean, everybody can kind of just know and think, think about their future, but he said that that wasn't, that wasn't something that he was, he was factoring into it. He said, um, I just want to help the team win and that, you know, on whether or not that's a competitive team or a team that's kind of in a rebuild. Um, he said that it, he he wasn't looking into that. Yeah, I read that more as like, you know, like I'm sure he thinks about it because I think it would only be natural. Like if you're considering signing, you know, a long-term deal somewhere, like of course you're looking ahead a little bit. But I think what he's saying is like, it's not my job to like sit down with Don Sweeney and be like, okay, you know, when are these prospects going to be ready? And who's, you know, a free agent next year that we can go after? And, you know, what, what are the drafts going to look like? Who do we have for prospects? Like that, that is not his concern. And like, I don't think David Posenak is looking into to it that deep, but I, I still think like it's possible that that report out of the Czech Republic could still have some truth to it. And that, you know, he might not need, possibly might not need all the details of like what's going to happen, but he might want reassurances from Sweeney that like, Hey, you know, if it looks like center becomes a weakness, you know, is there going to be an attempt to go out and get me, you know, a, a top center to play with like that? I could see still being, you know, something that comes up in their meetings, even if Pasenak isn't, you know, to his point, like worrying about, the actual specifics of like what those moves two, three years from now are ultimately going to look like. Yeah. I think, and I really don't think the Bruins are that, are that far away. I mean, I think that he didn't strike me as somebody who seemed to need a ton of convincing to resign in Boston based off of his tone in that, in that interview, that little scrum, uh, he he said all the right things. He said he loves Boston. It's where he grew up, um, you know, in, into into adulthood, and he loves the team, the players, all that stuff. So, you know, sometimes guys can have some pretty poor body language and say the right things, but this wasn't one of those situations. He he, you could tell he had conviction in what he was saying. And as far as the Bruins being competitive long term, they seem to have most of their areas covered except for center, right? Like it could be worse. You could be sitting there saying, well, we don't have a, we, we don't really have a bona fide number one D-man either. Or we don't really have a, a, a anybody that can play, play goal for us in addition to having a lack of center depth uh, going forward. So it really is just that one position of emphasis. And that's why we've gotten on Bruins management in the past for just having so much time to try to, to try to address the future of, of, of the center's position and their kick-the-can-down-the-road approach. And I, as much as I will never agree with their lack of being prepared for, you know, life after certain players, the fact of the matter is it really – it's still just one position they got to figure out long-term. And to what you guys have said, I don't know if, if, if Pasternak is looking for certain prospect names or certain guys they're going to try to circle and, and, and acquire. I don't even know if Don Sweeney – can can offer that right now. Uh, I just think maybe if he can offer Pasternak the notion, 
David, we're not gonna go. We're not gonna go into into any season ever without a number one center caliber player on this team. Maybe that's the best they can offer. But uh, I don't know. I was encouraged after hearing him speak. I definitely was, and I know in the past we've just, I've kind of been passionate about you can't you can't go into the trade deadline this year without Pashnak being extended if he signified he might go elsewhere. It's too much of a risk to let a player like that go for nothing. After hearing him speak, I'm I honestly as much as I want him to, to sign right away, I'm kind of a little bit more at ease if he goes on into the season unsigned and throughout the season unsigned because his his composure and his and his uh, love for for the Bruins and the, and the city of Boston when talking about his extension was kind of you know reassuring to me, and so I think I'm a little bit cooler about the passion situation now. Obviously, things could go wrong and, and whatnot, but I just didn't get that sense based off of that media scrum. If he does intend to sign back with Boston, though, I don't think it makes sense to wait until during the season. Like I don't think that it's about like. I think Don Sweeney's going to offer him what he wants right off the top. It's not going to be like haggling situation. Like he knows what Poster Knox contract should look like. He's not going to try to scrum over. I don't think so. In that case, if both sides agree, you know, this is yeah um, a deal that's looking right around maybe the same money as Charlie McAvoy's deal, which was eight years, $76 million. Like if both people can agree on that right now, I don't really understand what the point would be to, go into the season um, because it just hangs over. Pasternak's going to keep having to answer the questions about it. I think uh, from his point of view, he probably would rather have it done. If if it is true, he's made up his mind. Uh, he probably would rather have it done before the season starts, just like how, you know, DeBrusque wants everybody to stop talking about uh, last year and, and whether or not he was at odds with Cassidy. Pasternak probably doesn't want to keep answering the same question over and over again about a contract. And uh, management certainly doesn't either. So I think I'm optimistic it gets done before the season um, just because I think that makes the most sense. Yeah. And like one thing that I saw a couple of people mention is like, well, would he wait because he wants to, you know, see, uh, you know, if he gets on Jim Montgomery, like if things go well with the new coach and it's like, I mean, maybe, but at the same time, it's, if Poston is signing long-term, like even if things went poorly with Montgomery, it's like, then Montgomery is going to, you know, he's not going to last. Like, you know, if he's not a good fit here for whatever reason, like the coach is going to change long before you get even halfway through an eight year deal. So uh, I don't really even think like that would be like a big issue that he'd, you know, want to wait out and, and get a few months into the season to see or something. Um, yeah. So I know, like I've said in here before, I think, they'll really negotiate in earnest and, and sit down in person once Pasanak was back, which obviously he is now. He got back Friday. Just worth noting, though, Don Sweeney, not in Boston. <laughs> he was, he's he been in Buffalo at the Prospects Challenge um, through the weekend. I'm assuming he'll be back Tuesday. I know he's definitely back by Wednesday when, when everyone reports for training camp. So, um, could see it, you know, in the next, in the next few days that they – I don't know if we'll get reports or we'll find out about it, but I would imagine like they'll they'll set up in an in-person meeting some point this week. Well, we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. I'm surprised Don wasn't waiting for him 
at the airport, like, um, what's the guy in Napoleon Dynamite with the little the little sign? <laughs> when he when he got off the plane, walking when we got to Boston. Um, so Scott, you brought up the prospect challenge. I think we'll hit on that in a little bit. Uh, for now, do you want to switch gears to the other David uh, on the Boston Bruins, also from the Czech Republic, who we I think may have a, a bigger head now. Literally, Bridget, is that what you were, is that what you were saying <laughs> earlier? No, so so the Bruins posted a video today of of David Krejci trying on what like quote unquote his old helmet from before, which I am skeptical that they gave him the right helmet because it did not fit and it wasn't even close. He couldn't get it on his head, and I'm like, this your head doesn't grow like that. Like, uh, unless, unless they what? either gave him a smaller helmet or like he's on steroids because your head does not grow unless you like really bulk up. Yeah. Maybe he just got smarter, right? He <laughs> got that's, smarter. That that's how science works. Your brain gets bigger. No, I think I, you I, I know think, what? I then Scott's Scott, your head wouldn't fit in the room then. <laughs> I, I I think his head just got big from being the from being the best player in uh in the country he was playing in last year <laughs> and, and the best player in the league that he was in. So he just has a big head now. We're yeah. literally yes, yeah, so we're not talking about his ego, we're physically talking about his actual head size. But no, I think they were just messing with him, which was kind of funny. And he just his whole demeanor when he came back so far has been very like it's been a very lighthearted kind of vibe um he's giving off like he's doesn't seem to be stressed out and and um you know when the media got to talk to him for the first time you know he was asked about what his conditioning was like and how how prepared he felt for the season and Scott, you were there. He said a bunch of times that he, he feels like he still got it. He, he mentioned it um, in multiple answers. You know, I've still got it and um, I feel great. Um, and I think that it had been said before what what kind of gave him the confidence that he could still play with NHL players. But um, I think that the most significant one was playing in the world championship because he's playing with and against those NHL players. And funny enough, I don't know if you caught this in his answer, Scott, but um, he was asked about, you know, playing with Pasternak. Did that make him want to come back? And he said that he almost didn't get a chance to play with Pasta in the World Championship because the, but he only got to because the Bruins didn't win Game Seven. So if the Bruins had won Game Seven against Carolina, Krejci and Pasternak don't play together in the World Championships, and like maybe maybe Krejci doesn't come back. Like it was it was just such, such a uh, a small thing that he said, but I I kind of picked up on it like. Oh, I wonder if if things had played out differently, like the Bruins had moved on to another round, and Krejci and Pasternak don't get to play together. Does does Krejci have that same epiphany? Because he kind of always comes back to that as what kickstarted him wanting to uh, come back. Yeah, and maybe even more significantly, when Pasternak talked on Friday, he said he needed the World Championships to find joy in hockey again. Like he needed that experience of going over to Europe, teaming up with Krejci, playing, you know, I guess like a get away from NHL lights to to basically like find joy. And and obviously we we know why. We know how tough his his last year was for him, um, given what happened last summer with the the death of his newborn son. Um but yeah, it seemed like that you know, like, I don't know. I mean, maybe crazy comes back no matter what, but yeah, I guess if you're looking for, for silver linings to the Bruins uh, losing in the first round, it, it would be that that world championship experience for both Krejci and Pasternak seems like something that was 
really important to both of them, obviously for different reasons, but uh, that definitely benefited them heading into the summer and, and did probably, you know, help cr- convince Krejci that, uh, that he wanted to return and, and that he could still play at this level. Yeah, just to read the quote, too, that I, that I wrote down, he said, the World, cha- uh, the World Championships kind of reminded me I still have it. Uh, and then he said, Pasta came and, and played good hockey. That was the point that I started thinking I could make a comeback. Then the Bruins called and we went from there. So, like, it was kind of a turning point, it seemed like, for him. And, and that is a silver lining because, you know, what could have been, we, we don't really know. But maybe maybe those two you know, don't have a, as great a time. They don't reconnect and they don't. And, and it, by the way, Krejci playing with him, like it, it reminded Krejci how like, oh yeah, I can keep up with an NHL guy. I can, I can keep up with Pasternak. I'm, I'm good to go. Oh yeah, because I'm sure he had, you know, or, or maybe he didn't, but like, I'm sure at times some questions crept into his mind. Like, okay, yeah, I can do it in the Czech league, but you know, once you play like so many games at a different level, you you do kind of just maybe forget like what NHL level is or exactly what it feels like when you haven't seen it in so long. And obviously he didn't really get that level at the Olympics either because there were no NHLers at the Olympics. Um, so, yes, you know, I'm sure that he, he probably did need that. Like he probably did need that reminder. And like that was like a good test trial at the very least of – okay, like now I'm going to face some NHLers and let's see how I do. And obviously he had a good tournament. Uh, him and Pasolak were the two best players on that Czech team and and they won bronze. So, you know, they were able to to get a medal for their country. And well, Scott, you asked Krejci about that Hall Krejci-Pasolak line. Uh, and he, I'm, so he talked about, you know, how he's played with both of those guys in the past. And he said it would obviously be awesome to have two of the best players in the league, you know, on the same line as him. But uh, he was also asked about, you know, his, his chemistry and his chemistry with both of them. He acknowledges, you know, very good. And he said, and someone gave this snarky comment about how like him and Pasternak really haven't played that much together. And he said, it doesn't matter because, uh, you know, as soon as I started playing with them again, it feels like we played together for the whole year. Like the chemistry is there instantly. So, um, you know, they kind of make it a case to that, even though they haven't played together in the past super often, it, it just, if you throw them right in there, they're going to be fine. I think they will be fine. I think, um, well, as it pertains to Krejci playing with Pashnak over in, uh, in the world championships, that, that was on international size ice, obviously. Right. So I think I still think Krejci needs to prove to himself in preseason to get like to 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 play with Pashnak is one thing to and keep up with them on on a, on a larger ice uh, ice surface, but he's gonna find out quickly if he really still has it when he's uh, on North American ice in, pre- in in training camp in preseason and he has NHL caliber defensemen closing him on him with uh, much better gap control and much better skating ability. And, um, you know, I think that's what Krejci is still yet to prove to, you know, anybody or himself for that matter because we just haven't – he hasn't had the chance to yet. But, um, you know, I don't think – I think it's going to be a seamless transition back for him to the NHL, and I think Taylor Hall feels the same way. I think Pashnak feels the same way. And that line as a whole, I think it's actually, you know, really, really beneficial that Krejci um, – 
Pasternak and Taylor Hall had, what, 70% of a season to build chemistry together without somebody like David Krejci on their line. I mean, Eric Halla, he's not a bad player at all. He's a, he, he's, a, he's a good player for what he what he provides, what he offers. Um, but he, you could tell at times last year that Krejci and, um, or I'm sorry, Pashnak and, 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 and Hall had chemistry, but that sometimes Hall wasn't on the same page as them. And I just feel like the fact that they were able to build chemistry as a line in spite of that, whereas we're down the stretch, they're actually pretty damn good. I think that you take out Krejci, uh, um, Hall and you insert Krejci, I think it's just going to be a very, very dynamic combination of players. And without disrespecting Eric Halla, you kind of got that sense from Taylor Hall's comments about Kretsch is Kretsch, is what he said. And he kind of alluded to the fact that they had chemistry with Halla too. But it's just, he, he said it without saying it. It's 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 night and day, you know the the, the potential I think this this line has together when we have somebody like Krejci in the middle of us, and obviously Krejci and Pashnak have chemistry from being friends for such a long time and countrymen, and they have played together in spots, and then Paul and, and Pashnak formed a really good friendship last year, um, on and off the ice, and chemistry as well on and off the ice. So I think it's going to be pretty pretty good for that for them to get going here, and they're going to need that um, because. Obviously, you don't have Martian up front to start the year. And I'll throw it to you guys now because I'm sure one of you who is very uh, – you always do your due diligence and have your notes prepared. Probably have uh, Marshan's comments in front of you about what he was asked and some, some advice he gave at the at the charity golf tournament. Uh, some advice he gave has for Pavel Zaka getting a chance on the left side to start the year. So I'll throw it to you guys. I know Marshan spoke with the media as well and, and, and talked about – a timetable for his return to to the team. So, um, Bridget or Scott, whoever has uh, who wants to go first. Yeah, just before I even get to Martian, just to wrap up on the Hall Crazy Pasternak line, I I think they have the potential to be one of the best lines in the NHL. Like that. I mean, two years ago, Hall Crazy Smith, once Taylor Hall came over, was one of the best lines in the NHL. I think. Like at five on five, that it was like a fourteen to one goal differential or something. Like it was crazy. And then last year there were stretches where Hall Hall Apostonog, you know, wasn't one of the best lines in the NHL, but was a really good line. And one thing that Taylor Hall highlighted when he spoke at the charity golf tournament on on Thursday, he said, you know, Krejci's a really underrated defender, and I've felt that way for a long time. It's a hundred percent true. And that's an area where. I think Halla put in an effort to get better as, as in the defensive zone last year playing between those two guys. I, I just don't think he was ever really very good at it. Like, it's just not – it's never been a strength of his. And he wasn't going to suddenly master it in half a season or whatever. And it was it was a tall ask. Like, Eric Halla did a lot of things well playing between those two guys, but – it was still clear, like he's just—he's not—he wasn't an ideal number two center. He wasn't the ideal guy to be playing between two talented players like that. Um, and Krejci, even if he has lost, you know, a quarter of a step from two seasons ago when he was last in the NHL, is still a significant upgrade over Halla. Um, and then, so and, and what, what what Brian's alluding to is is this quote, right? Just get open, and you yeah. don't, and you don't even have to back check when you play with Bergeron. Is that is that what you're alluding to, Brian? Because um, 
yeah, I mean, it was kind of facetious, but like, <laughs> obviously you still have to back check, but yeah, no, that was Marshawn giving advice to Pavel Zaka, um, playing next to Bergeron, which is funny because Zaka also is a good two-way player and, and a defensive-minded player as well. So, um, yeah, that, that was joking, but at the same time, it, it has truth to it that Bergeron is such a good defensive player that you can he you can have a little bit of leeway in, in how you play uh, defensively. But uh, Krejci was also asked about if we want to switch to talking about that um, Zaka-Bergeron-DeBrusque line. Krejci was also asked um, if he knew Pavel Zaka before this, and he said it was uh, it was me the first time. Was it you, Scott? Yeah. Uh, it was the first time that they met. Uh, was this week? So uh, yeah. they didn't. Even though they're both from the Czech Republic, they they didn't know each other personally um, in any way. But Krejci said um, he. I obviously know of him. Loved his game. I'm really happy he's on the team. He's definitely going to make the team better, which is the sentiment that so far everybody has has echoed. And, um, you know, he's going to be next to Bergeron and have the best chance of of succeeding on that line, I think. Um, with Marshawn being out, and, and the Bruins did give an update on the Marshawn just a little bit that he's eyeing a late November well, return. Marshawn gave an update on himself. That that came straight from Marshawn when we talked to him uh, at the golf tournament in Plymouth. Yeah, he said, so Friday was his first day back on the ice. He said this is the longest he's ever been off the ice. So he had the surgery in May. So it's been almost four full months since he was last on the ice. Um, but yeah, so he got back on Friday. He was, uh, Connor Ryan got video of him, uh, Monday before captain's practice. Him and McAvoy were both out there. And obviously, so McAvoy and Grizzly have both been seen on the ice as well. And obviously different for them because they have, they had shoulder surgery. So skating is not an issue there. You know, for them, obviously it'll be more the ramp up to shooting and then physical, you know, contact and all that. Um, with Marshan, skating is obviously a huge step because we're talking about both of his hips. Like that's, yeah, yeah. that's that's a big surgery for for yeah, a hockey and, player. And he, he even said uh, it's pretty much like learning how to skate again. And the first few steps that he's going to take, you know, they're going to have to be slow, slow steps, light skating, and then ramping it up. And that's why this this is going to take such a long time for him to recover. Um, and why he won't be back till late November is because it's just the progression is going to take a long time to go from, you know, kind of relearning your body in a way um, with your hips. Now, both hips uh, repaired, not replaced, repaired. Um, And uh, yeah, so he's still in the very early stages of that with only light activity and skating. Yeah, well, it's good to see him back on the ice. Um, I presume he was also golfing and, you know, you know, as, as Chubbs Peterson once said, it's all in the hips in golf so you know i would imagine that the hips are feeling no he didn't i don't think he golfed in the no he didn't yeah he was one of the guys just hanging out uh well too bad then not actually not actually (laughs) partaking (laughs) too bad if he golfed maybe we would have said he'd be back in october sometime but um yeah no i think i think i think paul mozaka is an interesting interesting player for them because again he is somebody who was drafted in the first round ahead of um Zaboral, Dabraskin, and Seneshin, who, by the way, RIP to, to Seneshin's career in Ottawa. He's no longer there. Um, that didn't last very long. But yeah, he, of course, signing, had an eye on it the whole time. No, I ends up like, signing a PTO. It's, you know, like, Detroit, so I mentioned this. I mentioned this to one of the other writers out there, but it's like it, when they traded him 
and got Josh Brown, who, you know, everyone knew was nothing more than an eighth defenseman. There was still like some people just kind of clinging to hope with Sinition. And, and I guess got, I saw and like got a couple cons at the time of like, they're, they're just giving him away for like an eighth defense, you know, kind of like a nothing D. It's like, man, like, I don't know what value you think Sinition still has, but it was, mm. it was not much. And like, you could tell, like, the Senators had nothing to lose down the stretch and they still didn't play him. And then they right. made no effort to re sign him. Like, it's, yeah, it, I don't. You know, nothing against the kid personally, but like, it's no, it's never personal. It, it, he's just not an NHL player. Like, it's just not there. I mean, our you know, our job is not to to you know like or dislike you know somebody on the ice based off how they are off the ice. Or it's it's not it's never personal. I'm sure he's a great kid. It was just a matter of it just didn't pan out for him at the NHL level. But um, no, so Zaka, he was I think sixth overall that year or, or something like that. And yeah. Look, if he can if he can come in and, and, and be surrounded by not to say that New Jersey doesn't have true professionals, but you the players in Boston, it's an objective fact. Like they have a much deeper and longer and more successful pedigree in the in the NHL than some of the guys over in New Jersey. So you put himself around Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci and so many others on this roster that have been there and done it before. It's a, he's in a, he's in a good position. He's in a great market, and if he could pin out to end up becoming like a you know forty five to sixty point player for the Bruins next year, I, mean, I think that's yeah, that's a that's a huge addition to to your offense. Now, and, and it's it's a, it's a big addition because yeah, you lost Halla, but you're also getting Krejci back. So it's almost like Zaka's kind of a even though he was traded for Halla, I'm more so looking at it like you traded Halla for Krejci. If we're going personnel wise, because where he's playing. <laughs> And um, obviously, Krejci wasn't in New Jersey, but you you get what I'm saying. And then and then like Zach is kind of like, it, it's just it's 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 like I said, it's 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 a it's a free it's a new ad, it's a free ad type thing. Yeah, and it was it was a uh, just a good move because yeah. if they already knew they were going to be filling the void with Krejci, then they they went out and got something else, the, another need, which was, you know, a winger that could play center in the future um, if they decide to sign him again. And the interesting thing about Zaka and a few guys on the team, it's very clear, like, what their motivating factors are going to be. In in New Jersey, like, besides, like, maybe, like, statistical progression, like, what was Zaka playing for? It, it wasn't as much as he's going to be playing for here. He's going to be playing for a contract. The Bruins signed him on a one-year deal. He's going to be playing to try to, you know, show – what his true potential is. And he's going to be playing for his teammates who might not be, you know, in the league much longer. So he seems to have that extra motivation here and he's only 25 years old. So uh, he's just, it seems like this was the right place for him at the right time. Uh, And I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about um, what the results will be for him uh, when he's playing on that first line. Yeah. And it's clear that the Bruins, you know, we talked about this last week, but, they want him to shoot more. He wants to shoot more. He's been working on that. And I think that they know that that's a key to unlocking more of that offensive potential that he obviously had, you know, and came into the league with. You're not – no forward is getting drafted six overall if, if people, you know, don't think he has offensive upside. Um, and that, like, that wasn't a reach by the Devils. Like, everyone had him ranked in that range. Um and it just n- has never really quite popped in, in New Jersey. Um, 
so, you know, playing with Bergeron DeBrusque early on, like that's going to be really good chance to get him going. And then you hope that, you know, he finds his game and, and that things are working well enough that presumably he gets dropped into the third line once Marchand returns. And he brings more offense to that line than someone like Trent Frederick or Nick Felino. And potentially if, if the Bruins do unlock, you know, some of his offensive upside, then he brings a lot more than the Bruins got from that spot last year. Um, and that's another thing. Like when you're talking about the, you know, Hala for Zaka swap, it's like, okay, yes, there's, you're going to get point totals, but Hala put up points playing on a line with Hall and Pasenak last year. Hala was quite bad playing in the bottom six. Like he did not produce at all no. playing on the third and fourth lines. So that's where it's like, okay, the, the test for Zaka, you know, one, I would say it might be a little bit concerning if he doesn't produce on a line with Bergeron or, you know, at least score at like a somewhat good, solid rate. I feel like he would but have then, to be completely snake bitten to not score on a yeah. line with Bergeron. Like, and, and he has the skill to do it. And that's something that a lot of the players, um, you know, on the Bruins have mentioned, you know, seeing from him in the past that they know he has that shooting ability it, it, for the Bruins. It's really, it was really a no brainer because you're grabbing a guy whose ceiling is obviously higher than Hala and who has, you know, he's not a defensive liability. So it's a, it's a move where you're like, okay, well, we can probably get more out of him. Um, and he could have a high, like he, he could easily outscore what Hala did last season, this season with, uh, do you hear Melvin? Nope. Is that what you were <laughs> looking at? Sorry, my dog. I, I, I heard him. We'll yeah. See if, we'll see if listeners could pick it up. But. <laughs> but yeah, he interrupted me, but my point was pretty much over well, anyway. So what, what were you saying though, Scott, if uh, you'd be surprised if he, something about, you know, because that's a good point. Like Hala did score in a certain position, nowhere else. So it's it, what you're saying is it's it's not like, okay, well, Hala had this many more points than Zaka last year, so he he they won a deal. No, it's, he was in a better position than Zaka, who was in a in a city and for a team that even when they were winning Stanley Cups, never thrived offensively. Yeah, so uh, I think the test for Zaka is going to be, you know, once he does, again, presumably – ends up in a third-line role, obviously things could change. Maybe it ends up being DeBrusque who gets, you know, knocked down a line. It's like, we don't know. But if that is where Zach ends up, that's that becomes the real test to me is, like, can he be, you know, a notable third-line upgrade? And if he can, then he's a, then he was clear, a clear upgrade over Hollow because, like I, like I was saying, like, Hollow brought nothing playing in that role. He needed to be with the two star players to produce. So if Zaka gets to a point where he's producing with Coyle and Smith, now you've got yourself a really good third line. And the other thing that, you know, that he brings that Holland didn't have is, is size and some physicality. You know, I don't think people are, no one's going to confuse Zaka with like a true classic power forward. Like he's not really that, but he, he can use his size. Like he, you know, he'll fend guys off. And he'll throw a hit every now and then, too. So, like, that's another element that, like, Hollow just wasn't going to have. And he's he's also six years younger. Yeah. So, Eric Hall is 31, and um, as of today, Paul Zaka is 25. I think he might be turning 26 soonish, but he's about, you know, five, six years younger than Eric Hall as well. 
So I want to kind of gloss over quickly um, something that Scott brought up a few weeks ago, which was, uh, or I think it was just what were were you looking forward to most to follow in, in, in training camp? And I think, Scott, you may have said the the battle for fourth line positioning and in, in, in personnel. And you bring up Zaka or DeBrusque potentially being on that third line with Coyle and Smith when Marsh and this, when the whole roster's healthy, right? So okay, so that means well that means Trent Frederick would be down on the fourth line, presumably, with a combination of whomever. Um has anybody's performances in these first couple of games over in Buffalo, is it Buffalo you said? Yeah. So Johnny Beecher's had himself a good showing. Um, Lysel has has been has been Fabian Lysel. Uh, he he he's been notable. Um, well, Merkelov is not really vying for that position. I don't even think Lysel is either. But it's just worth noting. Uh, Lauko got in a got in a, in a fight standing up for for Lysel. So my point is, you have a lot of guys in this in this prospect tournament that. Are playing like they have a job to win, and uh, so I, I'm just curious if if uh, your opinion has um, has changed at all about maybe who who could make up the fourth line when this team is healthy, or if anybody's helping their cases right now, because I think people are helping their case. Yeah, certainly Johnny Beecher jumps out. Uh, now, I'm not going to pretend that I watched all of the prospects challenge because, uh, as already covered, I I was moving this weekend. Time was limited on watching uh prospect games online but johnny beach has scored in all three games and uh the goal he had monday was a nice snipe from from the left circle and he said you know when we talked to him uh, over the summer he said that the biggest thing he was working on was his shot and, and scoring more goals so seeing him finish a couple chances including one where it was just you know, straight up beat the goalie with a with a really good shot. That's encouraging, and that's something that if he can add that, and you know, because look, even on in a fourth line role at the NHL level, you have to score. Like one of the reasons we talk about Felino and, and Nosek being so disappointing last year is they didn't score. So you can't replace them with someone else who's not going to score and expect you know that to be any sort of upgrade. So if Johnny Beecher is going to challenge for a role he's going to have to be able to score at, you know, not a top six level, but at a fairly consistent, like, fourth-line NHL level. And that might mean, you know, if he gets a full season, somewhere in, like, that 8-12 to goal range, at least. Um, So, and, and, you know, the rest of his game, like, I think people know, it's, there's a lot to like there. His skating, his size, he played in a defensive role at Michigan. So, that offense is the big question. And, and I mentioned it last week when we were talking that in college, it just wasn't there. He produced that at a worse rate than, you know, pick your Bruins fourth liner of years past. Um, but if he has made the taking like real strides in, in that respect, then he may very well put himself in contention for, for a spot. Uh, Another let so Lysel and Mark McLaughlin had very good tournaments as well, and I think we all already expect Mark McLaughlin to to be competing for a spot. You know, he uh, played NHL games, closed out last year, and didn't really look out of place. So you would expect him um, to be kind of right in the thick of that battle. And 
you know, there is a little bit of an opening at fourth line right wing. So that's a natural place for him to be able to push. Um, another player who apparently had a good tournament out there was Luke Toporowski, who uh, I guess done. So I think the only two Bruins writers who were out there were Kevin Paul Dupont and Mark Diver. But Don Sweeney was asked about Toporowski, and he said that it's someone who um, really kind of put himself on on the map ahead of, you know, the main part of training camp and, uh, you know, possibly even putting himself in contention, like to battle for a roster spot. It seems like that would be uh, aggressive. He has not even played an AHL game yet. He's a kid out of the WHL, but uh, put up really good numbers with Spokane and Kamloops last year. So that'll be someone who's, I'm certainly going to be interested to see in training camp. And get you know actually get some eyes on him in person because it sounds like people who were out in Buffalo were pretty impressed by him. Yeah, I watched the highlights from that game against the Senators, the the rookie game against the Senators, and that's the game that Toporowski had two goals. Um, and and you know he just he played hard. Uh, but I still think to answer Brian's question, you know that the answer is McLaughlin and Beecher are the ones making the best cases for themselves for that fourth line role. I also thought it was interesting that, um, you know, after the game, Beecher, Beecher talked um, and he was talking about how he lost uh, 10 to 15 pounds in this offseason. And, and so he's he's slimmed down a little bit and he says he feels more comfortable um, on the ice at this weight. And, you know, after the workouts he's been doing in the offseason. So um, obviously he's somebody who's been working really hard to make this roster uh, and he's seen the results so far, um, obviously against other, uh, prospects, but, uh, I think, you know, he is someone that is, you're going to have to keep an eye on, um, as the season comes closer and closer and what he actually looks like in preseason, um, when he gets a chance in preseason, uh, he's, he's got a chance. I still think McLaughlin's is better. Um, but Beecher has looked good. Yeah. And again, this is, this is all part of the fun of following along when, when training camp starts and, and seeing who can win a job for themselves, and I think that, like we've said in the past, competition and and you know getting some some youth who, not just because they're young, but because they their talent and their skill set tells them and tells everybody else that they should be on the team over, you know, say somebody who's been around in the league for a little while, but it's on, not even the back nine, kind of like the back three. It's you know, reputation can only go so far when when you're trying to put the best team on the ice, right? So. <clears throat> Hopefully, um, these these guys continue to to improve and, and you know make make some tough decisions for for the management and the coaching staff. Did you guys have anything else that you wanted to hit on? Yeah. So just on, on the same topic, um, at the golf tournament on on Thursday, I actually I asked Jim Montgomery. He was made available to us, and I asked him like his approach for kind of those you know, bottom of the roster spots, whether it's fourth line or, or third D pair is basically like, is his approach that those jobs are completely up for grabs or does he view, you know, the veterans on NHL contracts as sort of having the inside track and someone, something would have to change to knock them out. And he's sort of kind of, he's kind of straddled the fence a little, but he did kind of like lay out how he approaches it. And he basically said like, you know, for any young player, generally you're going to have to unseat a veteran. Like that's usually how it works. So that made it sound to me like, okay, he probably does view those veterans as like having 
the leg up to start. Like, all right, they're going to be the ones penciled into those spots. But then he also said, like, you know, but ultimately we want the best players playing every night. So if they go through training camp in preseason and they feel like Johnny Beecher is a better player than Nick Foligno or Mark McLaughlin's a better player than Tomas Nosek or Trent Frederick or whoever, like, you know, based on his comments, it sounds like those guys should win the job. So we'll see. We'll see if that happens. Obviously, the first thing is those guys have to – they do have to push those veterans and likely outperform them, right? Like they, if things are even, they're probably going to default to the veterans. So they have to unseat those guys and, you know, win those jobs. So we'll see, you know, I think what all of us don't want to see is like one of those young kids is clearly outperforming the veteran, but the veteran gets the job and we get the, well, you know, sometimes it's a numbers game and, you know, we had to make it work because, so and so would have to clear waivers, and we could just send the other guy down like that. It's like, oh, all right, like, yes, I understand business comes into it, but it's just like it's always kind of depressing to see that, especially for a team that needs to get off to to the best start possible and given... needs to develop some of the younger players in their system. Yeah. So like it's that, and that's more of a Don Sweeney decision as well, rather than like a, a coaching decision. Um, to you know. It, it comes down to whether or not Don Sweeney gives it the okay. Um, like you said, if it's if it's a numbers game, if it's about the contract, then uh, that's when Don Sweeney would have to step in. But then you you prevent you know some of your younger guys that you want to develop from getting those chances in the NHL. So um, yeah, if they outperform, I think what everyone wants to see is you know those players to be able to get their chance and and to to probably make progress as they get time in the NHL. So that's. If they win the spots, you know, good for them. The team gets a little younger, gets a little faster, um, and and guys get a, a chance to develop. So, well, I think they should they should do what what they should um, what they should do is learn from their mistakes, right? Like I think I think last year is an example of a player who in Jack Sanika who kind of had a better camp than some of the some of his counterparts, and he didn't win the job. And we've talked about in the past how, okay, okay, kid, you didn't win a job, go down to Providence and, you know, prove us prove us wrong. And he didn't do that. And he certainly didn't do that when he did get a couple of small call-ups throughout the year. But the fact still remains, had he made the team out of training camp last year and he's feeling good about the work he put in in the offseason and feeling good about his game and he's put in a position to, to succeed by getting a 10, 15, 20-game um, trial – Maybe he does turn into a little bit of something for you, and and we'll never know now. But the Bruins can't let history repeat itself and allow somebody who deserved at least a look out of the gate to be on the team not get that because now Jackson Nika's he's in a very bleak position for him personally because now he's stuck between the some established veterans who are on NHL deals and he's also between some of these younger players we've just been talking about the last 10 minutes and his name is totally lost in the shuffle now. And anyway, so that's Jackson Ica, but like going forward, I don't want to be sitting here next year saying, well, you know, what if X, Y, or Z player got a chance because they deserved it in camp and didn't get it. And now they're kind of a, not a dead asset, but you just don't know what to do. They're, they're not progressing like you wish. Sometimes you have to, Sometimes you have to let people, you know, just throw them into the fire and, 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 and you know, see if they can swim, right? Other, 
there, there, there are certain players, certain positions where you don't want to rush them. But then there, there comes a time where it's like, well, it's, it's now or never. And I don't think somebody like Johnny Beecher is now or never. Uh, he, it's his first full pro season about to, to, to embark on. But you just, you, you just got to go with your instincts and, and not necessarily what the salary cap structure is telling you. Like if somebody, if somebody's earned it, give them a chance. You know. It's kind of amazing, like how us, but like also really anyone else. It's just not talking about Jack Stamiga at all. And it's a, it's almost like, you know, because the, the buzz kind of like dies down when you've, you know, he's been like the buzzy prospect for a few camps, you know, in the past. And it's like, oh, well, now there's there's new guys to focus on. And so we just totally forget about him. But it's like, yeah, he, he's very much in this conversation as well. Like he'll he'll be competing for, for one of those jobs, um, or at least you hope he will be. And it's worth noting that like everyone around the Bruins or in around Providence still speaks very highly of Jack Stanico. Like I think everyone still really likes him and, and like likes his approach. You know, Providence's coach Ryan Mujanel said he, you know, he liked how he finished last year. He thought like his work ethic was really consistent. Uh, and he was getting to a good spot. Uh he liked what he was doing over the summer. I remember at the um the, the rookie camp in July or, you know, right after the draft, uh, he said that Stanik had been working with Johnny Beecher a lot and was kind of like showing him the ropes of, you know, like training as a pro type thing. So it's like, every, I think everyone still really likes Jack Stanika and now it's like, okay, is he, is he going to kind of put these last two tough seasons behind him and sort of with the fresh start of a new season, you know, can he, really like kind of get back and, and whether he makes the Bruins out of camp or not, like just get back to a positive, like upward trajectory in his development. Um, because, you know, they like, I think it was Don Sweeney who used the word like kind of plateaued last year. And that's, that's, that's exactly what happened. If not even a step back, like it, it just, it wasn't a great season. There were really didn't seem to be, certainly statistically there was no growth. So um, you hope he's in a better place and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how, how he looks in this camp as well. Yeah. And we, we do still get questions about him. I mean, like on Twitter, every once in a while, a comment will show up on one of our posts. That's, you know, a question about Jack Stanika. People, people do still wonder where he fits in. I think for him, I, I see his fit as like, not this year, but just like keep with it, make progress this year. But his real fit's going to be after Bergeron and Krejci are gone. I mean, his his position hasn't really truly opened up and he's not made his case to play. You know, he, he had at times had played when he was called up as a winger um, playing on the fourth line and whatnot. But I, I really do think his that they have gone from looking at him as someone who can come up like uh, – in the near future, like they had been for the past few years. And now it's more of like a, all right, well, you might be a regular player once Bergeron and Krejci um, have both departed because he's one of the centers that they've been trying to develop. And, you know, the they've had veteran guys in those spots. See, but that's what but, I found so interesting about last year too, is because last year you didn't have Krejci, right? And, and Don Sweeney mentioned how, and they didn't think he was right. Clearly, they went out and they got Nosek and they got Hala. So, right, but like that was a chance for him. Like he, he, he. Sweeney spoke around free agency that 
it was going to be internal competition. You said Jack Snake would be one of those guys, and even in a year where you didn't have Krejci, like you just said, they they found a, they found a way to go out and get somebody else for it instead of giving them that opportunity. Now a lot of that's because it's it's win it's been winning now mode for the Bruins, and you know you're not going to give a, a number two center a chance to get his feet wet in the NHL, right? You kind of ideally want him to work his way to that, but. Well, but, you know, last year there was a chance for him to start as the third-line center, and they yeah. didn't even do that because, you know, like you look at it now, it's like, well, Charlie Coyle's been even blocking that spot. But last year it was Coyle starting as the second-line center out of the gate. And, you know, they could have easily put Stadnik as third-line center and Hall starts on one of the wings, um, but they didn't. So, you know, it's – as far as like whether he's going to get a chance when Bergeron and Krejci are gone, he's gonna he's gonna prove to them that like he can handle that kind of role. Because right now, if you look at his production in Providence, it's not even close to what you would want to see from someone who's going to play in the top six in the NHL. So he still has a ways to go. Like right now, you know, just being honest, I feel like his ceiling is probably like a third line center. Yeah, which he but he he has a chance to change that that projection if he, you know, bounces back and can get back to um, making positive steps and starting to produce more. Yeah, we're not saying he's going to be like a one-for-one replacement for for Bergeron or Krejci, but like he then factors into one of the four centers up the middle. So like, you know, maybe now they have to move Coyle second line. Maybe now he, once they're gone, has the opportunity to be third line center or whatnot. But no, definitely not jumping right into second or, or first line center, I don't think. Even with, um, you know, the departures of Bergeron and Krejci, who both won't confirm whether or not it's their last season. But, you know, it's just that they're taking it year by year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think Stanique is, bound to be top six i don't see it. i don't i don't see him having the finishing touch at the at the highest level so i mean i think he's a good passer he has some good vision but can you can you do it all when you're surrounded by the best players in the world and that's in to scott's point a few minutes ago he hasn't even done that in the ahl level yet so um as much as i certainly think that they missed the boat last year giving him a chance to get a 20 25 game stint in the nhl and, and try to learn at the highest level um, I think it did mess with them. I think it, it messed up his psyche that said, uh, since then he hasn't, you know, it, it's on the player at this point. I mean, I, I blame the Bruins management for, for not giving him that chance that I think he earned, but he hasn't done anything since then to, to force people to, to look in the mirror and say, yeah, we really effed that one up. Um, and that's on him. So we'll see what, ha- yeah, again, he's another one. We haven't talked about him much. He isn't. He's. He's no longer the most promising prospect in the system. I think that has a lot to do with it, and um, there's definitely some 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 players to be watching th- this camp. Um, you know, if I if I'm Stanika, I'm looking at Trent Frederick. Right. Look, look. 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 Don't look behind you. Look directly in front of you. Like look for somebody who you can probably try to outperform. Um, but yes, it, it's it's weird for him because he's not good enough, and there's no room for him to be in the top six, and. His role, his game isn't styled to be a fourth liner for sure. I mean, third lines, you need to, you need to score on a third line in the NHL if you want to be a cup contender. So there's always room for, for goal scorers and playmakers on a third line if you want to be the, you know considered a, a, contend, a contender. So I don't, I want to look at it, it. Scott said he might be a third line center ceiling. Then 
embrace it, relish it, you know, fine tune every aspect of your game, be a reliable two way player that can be part of a top nine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It, so we'll see what happens with him. And he's one of many to be watching in, in, in the weeks to come here. Bridget, did you have anything in particular you wanted to go over and Scott before we go? No, just that um, if anyone does have questions about anyone, just comment on it in one of our, you know, or tweet, tweeted at us, comment on it, or one of our tweets with the, your questions. Um, you know, we'll be happy to answer them if you do have more questions about any of the prospects or Sanika or whatever it is that's on your mind. Scott? Yeah, I don't have anything. Just to, I guess just to lay out uh, upcoming schedule for people. So the Bruins still haven't officially announced like their training camp schedule and roster, but I believe I'm pretty sure they report off for like all the off ice stuff. Their, you know, weigh-ins, physicals, videos. They have to watch all that stuff on Wednesday of this week, and then the first day of training camp on ice will be Thursday. Uh, first preseason game is coming fast. It's Saturday night in Philly. Um, so yeah, so it's it's here. Captain's practices are done. The last one was Monday, so I think Tuesday is a day off, and then it's then it's training camp time. You know something, and I, I gotta, I gotta tell tell you and the listeners, don't don't sleep on a preseason game. Preseason games sometimes can be some of the most entertaining games for for quite some time because you have a combination of of guys who are trying to make a name for themselves and 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 prove to the coaching staff and management that they deserve a spot on the team. So they might, you know, they might play a little play a little on edge right and uh and sometimes you have veterans and guys that already have established roles in the nhl that are kind of going out there for more of a skate right it's kind of like it's kind of like in in like a beer league you, you have guys that are going too hard and then you guys that, are, that are just have a six-pack on the bench and and sometimes sometimes those styles can clash and be like you know hey buddy calm down and then buddy says to says to pal well, hey, pal, I'm trying to win a job, so don't tell me to calm down. And then the refs get in there and say, all right, we're taking all of you. And then the scraps start happening. I remember there was a game in Philly, because you mentioned Philly, Scott, that David Krejci got in a fight with Nolan Patrick. <laughs> Who the hell would have thought of that <laughs> in a preseason game? And there was like a little mini brawl in the corner. So, you know, if if, if you're not doing anything on Saturday night, I do think all the preseason games are, are televised. They, they can be they can be pretty funny. I mean, you might not know every player. If you're a casual fan, you might not know every player that's on the ice, but but the guys, they go pretty hard because you're trying to get your body rubbed up for the season and other guys are trying to win a job, a livelihood. So I wouldn't sleep on preseason games. Well, and in recent years, that clash, I think, has been drawn out even more, like especially last year, because uh, te- a bunch of teams, including the Bruins, basically went the strategy of like, the veterans, the guys you know are on the team, played in the home games and didn't travel because it's like, yeah, like we're, we're not going to make Patrice Berger and David Krejci travel for preseason games. So then it would be all the young kids playing on the road. Yeah. So you ended up with this dynamic where like the home team would have all their veterans, all their regular guys, and the road team, would, to your point, would have like all those guys trying to prove themselves. So it's like you have the guys, you know, just trying to, you have like a whole team, almost a whole roster of like one team being guys who are just like, all right, I just want to like get warmed up, get loose, kind of get into the feel for the season. And then the other team has like <laughs> the kid running around trying to throw four hits <laughs> to like make a name for himself. It's hilarious. That's exactly it, Scott. You hit on the head. That's exactly the way they've done it the last few years. They're giving 
They're giving respect to the guys that have been there before. And <laughs> don't worry, stay home with the kids and the wife before before you have 82 games and you know 40 other games in the road this year. And we'll we'll take the prospects. It's exactly what the dynamic is. So, um, by the way, Bre- yeah. uh, when we talked to Marshand on Thursday, he had he was in a, like a classic Marshand where, where like we already touched on the quote about like not back checking when you're playing with Bergeron, but he was also talking somehow like the that prospects challenge came up and. He he was like, don't they play like 10 a.m. on Monday? And he was like, he was like, oh, I remember those days. He was like, that's one of those games where you kind of just like looked to looked across the other teams, like, so we're not like hitting today, right? Like, we're just gonna take this one easy. <laughs> like it's the last day. You just want to get out of there. Yeah. It's funny because then I'm watching it this morning while I'm at it up on my laptop while I'm at practice. And the the that game, the, the Bruins and Devils are like killing each other. Like there were like a few big hits. Someone took a run at Lysel and uh, Jakob Lauka like jumps in and starts throwing punches. And it's like, well, they, no one, no one told them about what Marshan said. Like that, they, they were yeah. not taking it easy. Yeah, Marshan, he's 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 funny, man. I think uh, I think the second that he that he hangs up his skates, there will be many many media outlets calling his number to to be on their panels as a personality. I think he's there's a reason TNT mics him up every time he's on um the Bruins play on on TNT and he 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 has an ability to to be hilarious with the commentary while he's in the league with people looking over his shoulder, commissioners and, and owners and men and Imagine how he'll feel when he's no longer has to worry about you know what a coach or or a man uh, a GM is going to say to him or or getting fined for 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 making fun of you know um, Carolina not not helping out with the league escrow like he's I I think I think he has a ton of uh, he'll have a ton of opportunity post post career like kind of like a I'm not saying they're exactly alike but similar to um, the you know how Paul Bis, Paul Paul Bis, and that's a personality that the NHL uses to market like. Obviously, yeah. Marshan's a top player in the world, and, and Biz was like a, um, you know, a fourth liner who, who had to, you know, earn his way there. But from from a from an entertainment perspective, they're pretty similar on par. I think, I think uh, the Bruins would be wise to mic him up as many times as they can throughout the year, and get just get some quotes and and, and let him market the team because he's, he's yeah, hilarious. like especially like with what TNT is trying to do on doing broadcast, you know, kind of be like a little more edgy. It's like you could easily see them you know trying to make a run at him uh yeah they can make fun of him they can and like uh yeah. any uh, there's there's jokes that you know about the speaking, of, speaking and... of making fun of him did you see uh jeremy swayman's drawing of him <laughs> oh yeah. i did <laughs> so yeah, I did. so Jer- jeremy swayman was so every year like the nhl does this media tour thing like they pick a different city or whatever this year was out in vegas and swayman was the bruins representative this year it's like he wasn't at captain's practices the end of last week he wasn't at the golf tournament he was out in vegas for this thing and sportsnet had players like draw a few different things and swayman's task was to draw marshand and he just drew like a stick figure with a giant nose <laughs> yeah it was hilarious another, i'm gonna have to fi- try and find that because i did not see that another funny thing was um uh, Mark Andre Fleury, he he uh, he taped all of Sidney Crosby's equipment into a into a ball, and I guess I guess you know being at Pittsburgh for so long, Fleury was always the the class clown and the the locker. Yeah, comedian. if you if you ever watched the road, uh, was it the Road to the Winter Classic? 
the year it was one of the years that the penguins were in it he was like pranking people on that show all the time he, yeah exactly he like moved one of the rookies all of their stuff in their hotel room into the hallway and then they they automatically um accused it being uh brian cook who did it and he got away with it and he, <laughs> he just was that's just how yeah. he is but they asked they asked him if uh if he would ever do that to Tamar Shander Bergeron and Swayman was like, absolutely not. He's <laughs> I would never be caught dead pranking one of those guys. So just mm-hmm. another, another homage to 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 the locker room there in Boston. Well, guys, I, I'm I'm good. One last chance to bring up anything we haven't mentioned today. Yeah, one last thing. Uh, so Sweeney was also asked um, out in Buffalo if there will be any uh, non-roster invites to training camp. And he said there might be one. And so now people are like trying to guess at who it might be. I don't know. I have no inside information. I guess we'll find out, you know, whenever they announce their training camp roster, which will probably be Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, but a lot of people are like, so we talked last week about Sedano Chower was spotted uh, outside Warrior. Um, it was just kind of hanging around, checking in with friends. Well, when the Bruins posted photos of David Krejci at Warrior Today, you know, returning, in one of the photos in the background, there is a stick that very clearly says Chara 33 on it. Not Photoshopped. It's in the Bruins photo. So, I don't know. I guess, like, until they get on the ice for training camp and Sedan Chara is not out there, I guess we have to entertain this idea i don't think he would be there on a pto anyways but who knows it, most likely it's someone else that sweeney's referring to but uh i guess i guess we'll see yeah and, and by the way i meant matt cook i don't know why i said brian cook i know brian cook but we're, we're talking ben. about the matt cook yeah better better <laughs> forgotten yeah. better forgotten yeah yeah scott i have i have no idea what to make of that um in, in in every aspect of, of what I just said. Like, I don't know if that means he's going to be there in a PTO. I don't know in what world that would be beneficial to the Bruins. I know, obviously, you don't have Charlie McAvoy to start the year. But, again, he's he's a right defenseman. Um, mm-hmm. Chara's a lefty, obviously. And, you know, Chara, even in his last year and a half with Boston, two years in Boston, you know, he wasn't who he, he wasn't nearly the player he, player he was five even five six years ago and then obviously his stint in Washington who oh and, and the Islanders I mean the Islanders stint was it was kind of like a like a sad movie you know it was it was yeah. it wasn't it, it wasn't good no like even even the year in Washington there was still he held up okay for for a good chunk of that season but then like look at that first round matchup against the Bruins the the Capitals went out of their way to keep him as far away from the Bruins' top two lines as possible. And it's like, just the, like, throughout his entire Bruins career, even basically up until the end, you know, the Bruins would go out of his way to make sure he was facing the best players on the other team. So it's like, to have that flip to the point where now you need to make sure he's not out there against a first or second line is like, yeah. Yeah, like, to your point, like, it, it is kind of sad. You know, I, I hope he, like, everyone should do whatever they want for as long as they want. Like, I don't fault anyone for clinging to a passion, but I do, I do kind of hope he just hangs them up. Like, last season was was pretty.
pretty rough, even like relative to his teammates, like not just because he was on, you know, a bad team, a non-playoff team, like even relative to other Islanders players, like his season was not yeah. good. I mean, there, there was one game in particular where I forget who it was, who it was against and who the player even was, but some young, some young kid in the league was, was, was mouthing off to Chara and, you know, as, as, as effective or ineffective you still are on the ice as a player, Chara is certainly one of those guys who has earned the utmost respect from anybody and everybody who steps on the ice in the National Hockey League if he's on the ice with them or against them. And you had, you had a young punk, I forget who it was, maybe you guys remember, but he kind of he was he was mouthing off to Chara, and he honestly may, may have gotten the best of Chara in a fight too, and it was kind of like, well, you know, poor guy. But, I, I mean, in, in no world is... Zidane Chara still beneficial in a in a Bruins jersey. It, it, I I can't. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's no pipe dream of bringing the team back together. Zidane Chara on the ice makes the Bruins worse, not better. I think that he could be a part of this team going forward in a in a coaching role or you know developmental role or front office role at some point. Who knows? But it's his future in Boston should not be on the ice at all one of the defensemen who is out there so i've seen a couple people mention this on twitter uh and who is a right shot which is a side that the bruins would need help more than the left is old friend pk suban he is still out there he doesn't has not signed a contract yet and i said so when people brought up suban in trade rumors last year it, the biggest turnoff was his contract it was like no one was going to take on that awful contract uh, but now he's out of that. Like he's a free agent. He's just sitting out there. And I, you know, if you look at his, his season last year, like he was a perfectly fine third pairing defender, nothing special, obviously not the player he used to be, but he wasn't like a total train wreck either. Um, I, I also don't think that's who it is, but who knows? Maybe. Yeah, uh, Scott, who do you think it is? I don't know. I don't have a guess, but I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be one of these like big names because I, I just can't really see the Bruins doing that. I think it's going to be some, I don't know, some veteran, like lower and probably a defenseman that does seem like the area where they're thinner. Um, but just like someone who can compete for that, like, Josh Brown type role, or you know, um, why am I blanking on the guy they had the year before? Tenor- Tenorti, yeah, Tenorti, like someone like that. Like that's kind of what I think we're looking at. Um, and and that's not PK Subban either. So that's my guess, but maybe they'll throw us a surprise. Look, I I would uh, love the content if it's Sedano Char or PK Subban. <laughs> I will. I know I will get some some clicks on the website that day. Oh, you definitely would. And, you know, I, I'm not actively hoping that it's P.K. Subban. But, look, I, if if the Bruins want to give him a tryout, I would have no issues, you know, seeing uh, if he could help them out for a little bit in the first few months. I mean, I don't know what, what his place with the team would be long term. But, um, yeah, interesting to think about. I mean, it, it's, it's funny to see where the, um, the Bruins – Bruins faithful would would um would lie. I mean, obviously, they booed the hell out of this guy for for ten ten plus years in the NHL because of you know a lot of his diving and antics and agitating ways when he was in Montreal mainly. 
Um, I don't know. Do you put on the home jersey and all is forgotten? I guess we would find out. <laughs> I mean, hey, in my opinion. Depends if you suck or not, really. In my opinion, if you put that Bruins jersey on, then I'm cheering for you. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, unless like you're a headhunter and you're, and you're actively hurting people, then I won't. I won't just say, "Ah, he's got a Bruins jersey on." Don't I, Matt Cook's cool. He's got a Bruins jersey on. That's not me. But if there have been Bruins that fans have actively booed but, while they were on their team, like I remember, DeBrusque. Dennis Weidman was getting booed for a while. DeBrusque and got booed like, last year. Yeah, DeBrusque. Yeah, DeBrusque did get booed early last yeah. year. That was in hindsight, you know, guys. But what are you I'm, doing? But, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna boo Subban because well first of all I don't boo anyway if I go to games, but I'm not gonna no. I'm not gonna boo Subban because you know he took a dive in the corner, you know, eight years ago in against the Bruins. Like, I don't give a shit about that anymore. But um well I guess time will tell if the Bruins offer anybody a, a PTO. But uh in the meantime, we will talk next next week or later this week. Um for uh to you know to, to go over more uh, happenings with training camp and uh like scott said the bruins have preseason game on saturday so if we don't speak this week then the next time we speak could be after at least the preseason game we'll see how how they how they shake out in philly but i'm good guys we're all set good to sign off we're done all good all right thank you for tuning in and listening to us for the last hour as always and we will talk to you guys next week <laughs>